Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network. Yes. The podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. Try. Try. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with my friend and this show's producer, Nate McPiper. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. What's up? What's up, Nate? Just ready to start making some uh, dance music again. I got a new little toy. I got a new dance music toy, dude. I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah? I mean, I can stop thinking about it long enough to talk about Jesus, but <laughs> definitely we'll be thinking about it. I'm excited to um, have this special episode this week, Jason. I, um, I'm i going to I'm gonna kind of uh, preface this, and then I'm going to throw it to you to, to bring it home. Is that cool? Pitch away. With Easter and the idea of death and rebirth... We are given the original human fear, right? Which is the fear of death. It's something that has uh, that has been around since the beginning of all time. You, you and we're going to talk about Adam and Eve, but and but even then, it's like, what's the first thing? What's the first fear that God played on with Adam and Eve? Don't take of this fruit or what? And the day you do, you will you're surely gonna die. die. You do this, you're going to die. You're going to die, clown. The fi- you're going to die, clown. I'm sorry. Now man. we're talking. See, that's what I'm saying, that clown. Better not spit that ball back to happy. Um, the the idea that death is, is kind of the greatest of all human experience fears it's the elephant in the room it's looming over all of us and and even even when we can tell ourselves like oh you know i'm not afraid of death it's because you still in some way or, or another have have put your faith in something right and so uh, so what i want to do is i just kind of want to preface this episode the special episode of easter today is to go god was preparing us from the beginning of time and his people from the beginning of Adam, I should say, from the beginning of Adam to where we are now with the idea that that the entire point of all of, of this, this whole experience truly culminates in God sacrificed his son, Christ sacrificed himself for us so that we could overcome truly the scariest thing. And that there is a purpose, that there is life after this life, and and that if we put our faith in Christ, we do not need to be afraid. We do not. I mean, I should stop it there. We do not need to be afraid, but but truly, we don't need to be afraid of the of the thing that has that has scared all of humanity from the Egyptians, even till now, when you have people looking for the the fountain of youth, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw this to you because I think that that you have prepared a few amazing examples in the Old Testament, not only of the symbolisms and and, and the idea of, of how God was preparing his people to have faith in Christ for this, but also kind of some of the, like you said, on a smaller scale, the faith process for us as we go about our day-to-day lives and kind of how we can still apply this principle e- even now 
just in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, and if I and if you don't mind, let me lead Please. off this with a, a parable, right? I love parables. The the parable of the lost glasses. Have you have you ever lost glasses? Sunglasses, prescription glasses. Whatever. Oh, I lose. I lose. I don't. That's why I don't have nice sunglasses because I lose them instantly. And and have you ever looked all over the place and felt amazingly stupid when you realized they were on your head the whole time? Well, mine aren't only because I lose them literally in lakes, uh, in cars, rental cars, garbage cans, kids hiding them. So so I don't know that sensation, but I. I appreciate what you're saying. Or or when you're sitting there with your phone in hand, yes, looking, looking all your over okay, for your yes, phone, that's and right. you're like... You pull up your phone to ask Siri to help you find your phone, yes. Yes, yes. So I feel like in, in the entirety of the human experience, we have been looking for a means to survive death. How does, how does our species continue, if not us ourselves? As we look for, you know, r- right now as NASA is trying to find a way to avoid an, an ast- asteroid impact that would wipe out humanity or, or talks about colonizing Mars just in case things go bad here on Earth or, or having to reach out to the stars and go somewhere else. And that's just a narrow definition of, of trying to save humanity. But if you were to take the, the sum total of the money, time, and resources spent by the human species to try and avoid death and and push maybe life out even a little bit longer you look at the lotions and potions and, <laughs> and, and you know the take these antioxidants and this will give you a little bit more life or these supplements or these vitamins or do this or this kind of exercise or how many diets or how many fads we have been chasing the fountain of youth from the very beginning to the time, as you mentioned, quite literally, in, in the Middle Ages, you have these 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 crusades trying to find the, the the Holy Grail, if you will, or trying to go down and find the Tree of Life and looking in the Americans and the Amazon and going through the jungles for anything that this might extend life a little bit. When this solution was presented to us before our journey even began. And I'm talking about Adam and Eve, that same powerful, simple story at the beginning of Genesis that fuels faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get into it. Because when he takes the fruit, as you said, in the day that you do, you will surely die, he finds himself naked. Now, I want to put a different perspective on this for you. If you look in terms of him finding himself naked, maybe not talking about clothes, but mortality. What if his spirit at this point, we're looking at it in a sense that he is disembodied. His spirit is unclothed from his mortal self because in the day he took, he surely did die. And when we go through life, And inevitably, we take that fruit or do whatever that thing is that's going to bring those consequences, and we bring death upon us. The Lord doesn't look at it and revel in our nakedness, but he took Adam and he clothed him with with a coat of skin, putting flesh back on his body or giving him this. In this single story, we have symbolism of, of life of mistakes, of death, 
And now the idea that the spirit will be clothed again in flesh. Incredible. And that it is possible to return to God. And he is stating from the very beginning, have faith in God. He will clothe you. He will allow you. And it says it over and over through the Old Testament that he will extend your days, that he will rise you from the grave. And we could look at all sorts of stories, or excuse me, all sorts of scriptures that talk about this, but rather than focus on all these different individual stories, I want to paint kind of in broad strokes here and and maybe maybe take us to another story I think really portrays this idea of faith in Christ as we move down the line to the patriarchs. Faith in Christ that? That he will raise us from the dead. That's that he important. he will save us. That's, see, to me, it's like this is an important thing that I think that we sometimes, and, and again, like I don't want to get into this too much, but I do just want to highlight the idea that we do sometimes talk about faith as this kind of large, abstract balloon that kind of floats around and can kind of be applied to anything, right? It, it, yes. But when we say faith, it, it, I feel like, again, we just need to be, and I know we say, well, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ, that what, though, right? It's like very we, important We, we never finish that sentence. <laughs> like, I always feel like that sentence is left incomplete. Well, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ that he lived? Okay, I have faith, but what does that matter if fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. It's it's always left incomplete. This this, and I think maybe we abbreviate it. Just have faith because we we imply that we know what we're referring to and that everyone's on the same page. But I think it's important that you you do make that distinction, because faith is the driving force be- behind every action. I don't turn the light on in my room if I don't believe it will illuminate the room. And why though? Because you've done it. Because I've done it or because I've heard that it works, right? Depending on the situation. Maybe some things I haven't done before, but I've heard, and so I'm willing to give it a try. As it says in the New Testament, faith comes by hearing, right? So it's so important for God from the very beginning with Adam to teach him. And what does he teach him? This idea that sacrifice, that that he is going to give his son as a sacrifice. That's right. And that through that sacrifice, he can be clothed again and overcome the consequences of both death and hell. The first thing God does is clothe him, and you see the symbolisms in that. And then the the next thing he does is say, and here's how to apply that symbolism. If you have faith that I love you, and if you can have faith in, in the atonement that will come, you don't need to be afraid anymore. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it means that you can do it. You can do it out of love. You can do it in faith and not fear. And every symbolism, or, or and and every action, or every sacrifice, or every process after that, then immediately starts stemming back to the to that ultimate culmination of all of these things, which is death and rebirth. And and this idea that we're all born to die. And, and I don't know of anyone that's ever escaped that. No one has ever escaped that. And, and as we talk about experiments that have been done, taking, taking mice, young mouse blood, and putting it in old mice blood, rejuvenating them, and trying to prolong life, and all this whatever, whatever, whatever. But simply God telling us, hey, by the way, I've already solved this problem before we started, and Christ is going to make this work, and I will give you eternal life. 
and and it seems impossible and and we refuse to believe we refuse to accept or we have a hard time accepting it because we don't have firsthand experience none of us have been through that veil of death and seen the other side to be able to say yeah this works we have to trust on the words of of these prophets these these stories that we read about and god himself who was saying listen follow me I'm going to go through this, and just as you see me come through on the other side, you will come through on the other side too. This is great stuff. Let's keep going. Abraham. This when, is where I feel like we get to start applying a lot of this to our day-to-day, so so like, kind of keep that in mind. And, okay. And, and then I'm just saying, like, we'll, we'll cover it. I'm saying more for the listener. As as Jason kind of talks through this, where does this, where does this kind of start... Um, helping our day-to-day faith. Go ahead, Jason. When, when he's asked to sacrifice Isaac, if you just look at that in isolation of, will you give up your son? Who do you know that would say yes to that in well, isolation? That's a, that's a terribly hard question to ask of somebody. For what purpose? To what end? And, and, and how is that having faith? I mean, if you're, if you're just believing him, like the Roman soldiers that walk into the sea to their death because, they, they, because their emperor ordered them to, I mean, yeah, it's a great story about loyalty, but how does this show faith? In isolation, it doesn't. It seems incomplete. Without God's promise that through Isaac, he will have posterity as numerous as the stars in the heavens or the sands on the, on the earth— it, it's meaningless. But Abraham believes in the impossible because God said so. And? And because God, it, well, his faith in Christ has been established throughout his life yes. in a number of instances where God says and yes. he listens and he knows and he trusts God implicitly. He believes he believes in the miraculous. He believes in the impossible because he has seen it already up until this point in his life, which is again, I think cannot be overstated how important that is in this story. Yes. I mean, start from when he was even just <laughs> nearly sacrificed when he was a kid. And an angel, you know what I mean, was the one that saved him. Look at even the miraculous birth of his son Isaac. When you say when you say Abraham was unafraid from that standpoint, or at least probably not unafraid, but but at least had faith and trusted in the impossible. You have to remember that his son Isaac was an impossible birth in the first place. His son was a miracle in the first place. He had already had enough of those experiences that, and and tests, by the way, that he passed. And and as and you can go back and listen through some of the old Old Testament podcasts that we've done, but. But Abraham's life was a continuing a continual um, trial, and then prove prove me now here with experience. And he was saved from Pharaoh and the Egyptians when they took his wife away from him. He was saved from the Babylonians when they took his wife away from him. He he was saved from barrenness in this child being born. God the, the had miracle child. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of the symbolism there too, and and God had made a covenant with him where he, God Himself passed through the pieces of meat after Abraham showed his his belief. This is not 
the very first time God is appearing to Abraham asking something of him, this is a relationship that has founded itself over hundreds of years to this point. And God says, I will give you seed through Isaac, now give me Isaac. How in the world does he, does he equate that? How, how can he believe that he's going to have seed through Isaac and that he is going to kill Isaac before Isaac can have seed? How do those two make sense? He believes in the absurd. He believes in the impossible because God told him to and because throughout his life he had built on this relationship of trust. There it is. And that's that's what we're coming face to face with. And if and if that scares you, going to a funeral and seeing a loved one or it a does. family member. Dude, it does. And and coming to grips face to face with the idea that you will die. It that's scary too, dude. Because the thing is, is this is this is kind of my point when it comes to our day to day, right? Is that is that we have these processes that we have learned certain behavior. And that it's, by the way, not really even by faith anymore because we now have a deep knowledge and understanding of a certain process, right? You don't—I would would dare say you no longer have faith that when you flip the light switch on, the light's going to come on. You know that it's going to come on, and if it doesn't, you don't question your faith in that working. What do you do instead? You look for where the problem is. You're like, no, no, no. I know that when I flip this, this is supposed to come on. It's probably the light bulb, right? Yeah. And so, and the thing is, is like so much of, so much of our day-to-day process at this point is acts of, of what used to be faith, but now is accepted knowledge and understanding, right? The light switch is a perfect example, but there's a difference between that and going to a funeral of a loved one is all I'm saying, Right. And this is why, again, like, this is why building faith through these smaller processes of, and, and you mentioned this kind of when we were chatting before, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but but when you do read the scriptures, and like you said, and it feels like that's a light switch flipping on, and you go, oh, that's, that's interesting, I'm going to try that again tomorrow, and it works again, right? Mm-hmm. You're now doing the same processes of flipping that light switch off and on when you were a kid, and then just accepting, oh yes, this process works, right? I don't, I can't think of any other way to to approach the heaviness of death because of the finality of it, other than to build faith in Christ through the day-to-day processes, right? As simple as it sounds, reading your scriptures and feeling what happens, giving those talks in church even though it's scary, and then seeing the fulfillment of it, serving your neighbors and feeling of the love that comes with that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's like you just said, the story of Abraham, if you take that event without any sort of context, it's incomplete and it doesn't make sense. And by the way, I don't think Abraham does it. If you if that's his first trial, if that's his first test of faith, I don't believe Abraham even comes close to going through with it. I think Abraham even needed to see miracles happen 
on a not even a smaller scale, but a smaller scale. I mean, again, sacrificing your own son, that is about as ultimate as it gets, right? Abraham had to see that process work throughout his life in in smaller ways to prepare him for that bigger to, to prepare him for that bigger moment. Death is terrifying to me still. Even though I believe and hope for a certain thing, I would be I would be lying to pretend that that's not absolutely terrifying and something that doesn't loom, right? But I feel like to combat that fear and to put that faith in Christ, it's the process, like Abraham, of building that trust throughout your life up till that point. Am I totally off here, Jason? No, you're absolutely on. And and I want to maybe add to that the, the idea that faith can be misplaced. Oh, absolutely. When when we talk about I have faith that my car is going to start, even though I've done it a hundred times, and and you haven't been taking care of that car, if you've been neglecting it or it's it's old and worn out, and maybe you go there and you turn the key and that battery's dead and that car doesn't start, and you look at it and say, well, what happened? But it doesn't mean that all cars don't work, you know. Mm-hmm. It, see, that's I guess to me it's like is that faith misplaced or is that you neglecting to do the things? that are required of you to continually have that process work. So when we when we sit before God and we have a prayer and say, God, if you love me, I need you to deliver me here or do this or do that. And now what you're doing is not putting faith on God. On his process. You're putting faith on your plan. Yes. That God is going to bend his will to yours and do what you're requiring of him. And when inevitably that doesn't work... That doesn't mean that God's not real. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have faith in God. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't disprove those things. It means, and if I understand you correctly, you need to realign your process of doing this. Yes. Right? You need to realign your understanding of what faith actually is and not expect God to cater to what you have decided your, your faith process needs to be. Like, look at, what was that conference talk? But if not, when you look at Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who believed that God would deliver them, but if not, right? As they're right. thrown into that fire. That's right. And, and they may have been saved, but Abinadi wasn't. And was his faith any different? And, and in the end, was God's promise that, hey, I will deliver you in this specific case, or is his promise what it has always been? Which is? That he will rise us from the dead That's it. and save us from death and hell. That we we will, in the end, be lifted up and saved. That's it. To overcome the, 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 the actual great finality, the great fear. And that's the thing is your point is, is that God did deliver both Abinadi and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To the same extent, he he raised both of them up from the dead. Because even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in that fire that day, they weren't spared death at the end of their lives. No. Nope. We we come face to face with this sooner or later, and and if it if it means a little bit later, we've got to have faith that Christ knows what He's talking about, that He knows what He's doing, and that He has a plan for us. And in the end, we will be saved. I am going to reiterate, it's hard. Not easy. I'm just I'm just going to throw it out there. It's funny because, again, like I don't think I was, as a kid, I just accepted that I would never die, which is kind of a funny <laughs> thing that kids just do, right? Because they don't, most kids don't have any sort of concept of 
of death, right? And as a kid, because you don't understand that, you don't, I don't think, really think on heavy levels about the end, right? You know, and again, maybe maybe that's another one of those reasons that Christ tells us that we need to be childlike, right? Like, dude, you don't need to be afraid of this. Maybe, 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 maybe that's maybe that's why kids aren't scared of death and just assume they're going to live forever. And Christ says, "Yeah, be like that. Like, stop worrying about that thing, right?" But it's interesting because I didn't, I wasn't ever truly afraid of death until I had kids. Strangely enough, right? Deaths, for some reason, became a very real fear. It's a lot scarier when you've got family that you're responsible and, and for. And part of it, part of it was because I was terrified that my kids, like I might die and my kids wouldn't know how much I loved them, you know, and that they wouldn't get, to, that I wouldn't have done a good enough job or they would have been too young to understand that. And then you are worried about your kids, something happening to them. And that's just like, that's the ultimate you know what I mean? Like that, I can't, I, every time I try to comprehend that, I'm like, I, that would break me. Right. And you, 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 things change. Right. And so when we talk about this, I, I just want to continually throw this in there that it's like, we talk about this as a, Hey, we're all working on this together, but there is a reason that, that there is a real thing with fear of death as humanity and even as people that do have faith that there's something after this life because you can't know until it happens almost right you can believe you can you can you can believe deeply in something but to know you you have to see the the fruits of your faith pay off at some point which we believe they will right but we just don't want to take light of that idea but we also do want to highlight that's the beauty of what God promises us though is that is that we don't need to be afraid if we rely on him. And that's a you know the the, the fear of death is healthy. It it's we're well, it supposed to keeps us from doing it. stupid It keeps us alive. <laughs> yeah. There there are thir- there and maybe women have a higher part. dose of it because because I I swear guys do the stupidest things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I know plenty of women that do stupid things too. I'm not. You you might try to like let them out on this. I'm not. I'm not letting them slide. <laughs> but it it is. We're supposed to because it keeps us alive. It 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 provide. It has a utility. It has a purpose. It is healthy and natural to fear that. But if we think that God is telling us that we won't die, and and we look at Him and say, you know, why didn't you deliver me or why didn't you spare me? Then we we didn't understand the plan to begin with. And and maybe. Just reading Psalms as we're as we're looking at the Old Testament's ability to build that faith from the beginning and tell us it's not hiding anything. Uh, Psalms, sec, uh, Psalm number eighty-two, God is speaking to His children, and and He says in verse six, "I have said, you are gods, all of you children of the Most High, but you will die like man. You will die like Adam." And fall like one of the princes. Satan? Satan. So just like Adam fell and, and, and died in death, and just like Satan fell spiritually, you are all gods, but... So what's, God, what's, what's he telling us? You will die. You will sin. So if we die and we look at him and say, what happened? Well, that was part of the plan he told us right off the beginning. And he says, but... He says, arise. And how do you arise if you weren't fallen 
in the first place. You're going to fall. That's not the point. The point is you will arise. And that is my plan for you, that I will pick you up from the dust. Don't, don't be overly concerned about the details and whether or not this happens. You know, uh, you like playing video games, Nate. You, well, video game. It's <laughs> you, you've played you've played more than just Mario. You're Kart, right. Yeah, yeah. I actually love video games. Yes. And, and it's been a while since I've been able to. But um, I a little obsessive compulsive. I think I think several several of you out there. I know I'm not the only one can relate to this. Have you ever played a game of Madden and been so frustrated because of turnovers or stupid things? You just turn off that game and you start it all over again. Or, or turn it off or throw your controller at the television. <laughs> We, we we seek this perfect, what we vision as the perfect game or the perfect whatever, where we, we just want to quit and do it again. And that's not what the Old Testament teaches us. That The last example I want to kind of highlight in, in teaching us about death and resurrection from the beginning is Israel itself. As they're founded as a nation, why didn't God's country just win every war and stand as the greatest country of all times? Why, why isn't it this powerful nation from day one all the way to the end that never lost, that never had a problem. Instead, you've got problems with Egypt. Assyria comes and wipes them out, everything but Jerusalem, and and they kind of rise from the ashes. And then Babylon takes even Jerusalem and carries them away captive. And, And what is the purpose of this? Just as this nation can die and cease to exist as a nation, and I can bring it back into the land of Jerusalem and reestablish it as my people, so will you. You will die. And you think you're lost. You think that's the end. You think you close your eyes and it's obliteration and there's nothing left. But I promise you, just as I'm able to restore this nation from the brink of nothing, I can put you back together. You look at Lazarus, who sat there dead for three days, and yet he rose him from from the grave. You look at Jerusalem. Even though the Babylonians took him captive, and he brings them back into Jerusalem, and you think that's miraculous. Well, what do you think when after that, when the Romans destroy him in 79 AD, and they're scattered throughout the world, and they go through the Holocaust, and there is no Jerusalem or Israel, and now we have an Israel again, and the God has brought them back? I mean, these guys are on like their how many lives? How many lives is Jerusalem? <laughs> I mean, Jews they probably put cats point. to shame at this point. I know. I was going to say this: this the the history of Judaism, which, by the way, is something that I actually love and respect about Judaism, is that is that they they hold to their beliefs and they trust that God will continue to restore them, and He does. And even before even before they were a people. What happened when when Jacob has to give up the promise of Canaan, the, the land and there, to go down into Egypt, terrified that his children won't come back and that the nation won't be established, and God covenants with him that he will bring them back out of Egypt? Yep. That That is, every story as we're going through the Old Testament is a story of mankind coming face to face with the inevitable that we will be destroyed. Spiritually, we're going to mess up. Physically, we're going to die. But there is a God who is telling us, despite all of this, he will bring us back. And what greater message is there than that message of hope and belief 
that inspires actions in us to follow a God like that who is willing to restore us from oblivion. And just to add to what you're saying, because I think I, that's so beautifully stated, this is why I love Easter so much is because it's the celebration truly of the the ultimate culmination of all of, of, of all of the miracles that of that Christ did while he was here. This is the one that we can look to with the most hope and faith, and that is that he died and he was born again. And to kind of circle back to earlier, when I was saying we can't know until we go through that process, but like you said, there really is there really is truly only one example that we can look to and to have faith. Right? It would be so much harder to have faith that we would all be resurrected if we didn't have the story of Christ showing us and giving us that first example. Right? And and this is why I love this holiday so much is that we don't that it's it doesn't have to be blind faith. It doesn't have to be um, unplaced hope. We we have an example, and um, and the testimony of of prophets and disciples at the time that Christ did rise again, and that we can take hope and we can have faith that because Christ already has broken the bands of death, that we will we will do the same. And that he has provided that for us and that we don't have to be afraid, even though it's hard and even though I am and it's something that I'm working on, but we, we already even have an example of it happening. And what greater testimony to leave than that the Passover itself and saying that this is going to happen, that the Lamb of God is going to be slain, his blood is going to stain the post of, of a cross that his bones won't be broken, that he'll be served up bitterness in his final hours. And yet because of that, you will be redeemed. And to see that play out, his promise for 2,000 years, carefully observed, played out, and have the New Testament follow the Old Testament for us to see not just all of these faith-building examples and stories that set us up, that build a foundation, that give us something to believe in, but to see the fulfillment in the New Testament to that Old Testament covenant, to see him come back from the dead and visit his 12, to visit a group, to see him visit modern-day prophets, to see him visit other continents, to see him rise from the dead and say, that's why I said, follow me, because you will rise too. And and as we've talked about maybe this, this, this elephant in the room, this death, the scary thing on the large scale— Maybe we can wrap this up by talking about the tiny deaths. As you look at how many times you mentioned, you know, Israel, more more deaths than the nine lives of a cat, right? And yet it still keeps coming back. Because sometimes as we're trying to build the faith to believe in that large elephant, as you mentioned early on with Abraham and his story, never, never quite abandoning God and finding a way to turn back to him, to study those scriptures, to pray and have him reveal himself to us in those moments. As we read in the scriptures and see something that we've never seen before and it tastes good, it feels good, and to have that spirit come and say, this is me and bring us from darkness to to light, to fulfillment, to saving us, 
all of these little microcosms of what's going to happen in the end gives us confidence and belief and and strengthens that faith and prepares us for what what's going to come. Well said. Amen, brother. Um fantastic. Anything else you want to touch on this week? I I feel like we've we've covered what we wanted to. I I feel like we hit it for better or for worse. Awesome. Any um, questions or comments, always we appreciate you guys listening. Um, hit us up at hi at weeklydeepdive.com. Um, we do love fielding questions. Um, we get them over text and we get them over email, and they're fun to kind of respond to and look through and, and even do a little bit of research on our own. So please keep that stuff coming. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing with your friends. We continue to just see our listenership grow and our subscribers grow, and that's that's amazing, and it's why um, we do it is to hopefully um, is to hopefully make this something that is enjoyable for you guys to listen to, and that you get something out of. Um, what are we talking about next week? Next week we rejoin Moses in the wilderness with Israel. We got the Ten Commandments and the Golden Calf, I believe. If I'm not speaking out of turn like I have so many times in the past. <laughs> See, with the children of Israel, I mean, how. All God did was show them examples of miracles over and over and over. How could they still not figure this out, Jason? Hey, but you know what? If God still loved them and was willing to redeem them as a people, what does it say about me? Okay, all right, until next week. See ya. See ya.